0: Thank you, Chad. Man, I just feel like we just go right to the Lord's table after that announcement. That was like, um, nah, was as good as or better than a sermon. Um, I'm Stephen, I'm the pastor, and I'm supposed to preach, so I have to follow that announcement. And, uh, if I were preaching my own ideas, I'd be really, really nervous, but we get to open God's word and I get to present Jesus to you, and so I'm not nervous at all, um, Because Jesus is amazing. Um, And this is the first Sunday of Advent, right? We've been talking about that. We've lit the Advent wreath. Advent is the time for us to play some pretend. Like our kids play pretend, and it's great. Advent's a time for us to play pretend. Uh, We get to to play a role in a drama. and, And the drama is to put ourselves back into the days right before and as Jesus was born. We get to imagine a time that we're living at when the New Testament was beginning, right? That's what Advent is. And this year, our Advent theme is light and life. This comes from the famous line from the famous uh, Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? It says, light and life to all he brings. And so the idea is that Jesus was born to bring light and life to all. Um, So into our confusion and uncertainty, Jesus reveals that God brings the light of truth and wisdom. And then Jesus also reveals a God that brings life, life to help you grow, to help you change, to help you become all that God designed you to be. And so light where we are dark and life where we are dead. This is what Advent is for us this year. And in this first week of Advent, we've lit the candle of the prophets. The prophets were these people who were appointed by God. They were his representatives, and they spoke incredible promises that God made to his people. And the candle of the prophets highlights the promises and reminds us that Christmas, that at the birth of Jesus, made those promises of God come true. That Jesus' birth means that God's promises come true. And so for those of you who were here last week, our friend Sethian spoke about Mary and Zechariah. That these two, a man and a woman, a young woman and an old man, received these amazing promises from an angel that Mary, even though she was a virgin, would bear a child. Uh, And then Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, would also bear a son, though they were way, way, way past childbearing age. And so both Mary and Zechariah they struggled with doubts. They wrestled with this news that they were hearing, but they both trusted God even in the midst of not necess- with their with their wrestling. They trusted God. And so today we're going to see what happens next with the two of them. And so we're going to start by looking in verse uh, in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 39. There's verses that are printed in your bulletin that are the responses of Mary and Zechariah, but we need to wait and get to them. So first, I'm going to give you some verses. They'll be on the screens. Uh, These aren't in the bulletin. So Luke 1, verses 39 to 45 says this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah, same Zechariah, and greeted Elizabeth, that's Zechariah's wife. And so, what did Mary do? I'm going to give you a few points to write down if you want to follow along with this, uh, uh, with an outline. But the first thing Mary did was Mary ran away. That's what her going with haste means. She ran to see Elizabeth, her cousin. Uh, So, she ran to family uh, and to someone who was a close friend. And I imagine the reason why of this. Um, we tend, when we read the Bible, when we think about even famous people, we tend to only see the Instagrammable moments, right? And we don't realize that there's all kinds of life that's led in between people's postings on social media, right? There's all kinds of things that never, ever make it, because why would you ever talk about those things? But when we see that Mary went with haste, we begin to wonder, like, what's going on here? And so I began to think, and I've thought about this. Other people have talked about these sorts of things, and I've listened to them, and I think there's, there's compelling reason to think these things. But So I imagine that Mary had this truly amazing experience with the angel. The angel announces that she's going to be with child. She says, wait, I've never known a man. How is that possible? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then the angel leaves. And Mary thinks, wait. Wait, 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 what? Wait. Who's going to believe me? Like, what are people going to think? Oh, Mary, you're pregnant. That's great. Oh, it was an angel that came, the Holy Spirit came upon you and made you pregnant interesting. Huh. Well, good luck with that. I hope your baby's well, right? I mean, this is the kind of thing that I think Mary begins to anticipate. I mean, what's Joseph going to think? And and if you think that what I'm offering is like, well, there's no way people would have thought that, that's exactly what Joseph thought. Matthew tells us this. In Matthew 1 verse 19, it says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph knew exactly what happened. And so Joseph took action and said, like, who knows what Mary told him, how much she might have pled. And Joseph just says, look, i mean, sorry. It took another appearance of an angel to Joseph to convince him that Mary was telling the truth. No one else would believe her. No one else would believe her. And Jesus actually grew up with this stigma. You might not know this, but there's this one place in John chapter 8, I think it's verse 41, Jesus and the religious uh, leaders, they're talking about fathers Jesus brings up their father and they go, oh, Jesus, you want to talk about fathers? Well, at least we weren't born of fornication. We weren't conceived by sexual immorality. And it's like this thing that evidently was known about Jesus that he had a questionable conception. And so this, I think, is why Mary ran away. She went with haste to the hill country. And so if Mary lived in Orange County, because that's how I like to think about northern Israel. It's Orange County. Um, She ran the 90 miles down to San Diego. She came south to the the, the hill country of Judah um, to get away and figure things out with Elizabeth. And I just want to ask you this question so that you can identify a little bit with Mary. Have you ever tried to run away from your shame? Have you ever done something... You knew it was going to get out. And you ran away from it. Who did you run to? I mean, do you have someone that you could run to? The Bible knows what it's like to suffer shame and have people not believe you. Um, The Bible knows what it's like to have the past thrown back in your face. Sometimes following God will expose you to ridicule. Um, Sometimes people ridicule you not because you're like all of the good reasons to criticize Christianity. Okay? Sometimes they're just against God. And so they're against you. But both Jesus and his mom get it, they understand what it's like to face shameful situations. And so, I don't know what you would do in a situation like this, but Mary skipped town. And so she went to Elizabeth. And the second thing that we see is that friendship made her faith sure. Friendship made her faith sure. So, when Mary went to her community, she goes to Elizabeth, her friend, she gets assurance. She gets assurance. We see this in verse 41. It says, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. Oh, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so here, Elizabeth affirms Mary in the midst of her shame. Or the prospect of her shame. Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed. Elizabeth knows that Mary has been visited by God. And so in this, we see there's some principles here of the kinds of spiritual friendships that we need. The kind of discipleship relationships where we're all trying to learn and follow Jesus together. We need these kinds of friends. That when we we need people who can see God's work in your life and who can affirm it, right? When that happens, when they tell you they see God working in your life, it strengthens your faith. And Elizabeth also is pregnant, right? So Mary shows up, and she's six months along, right? The angel told her that, which is probably also why Elizabeth ended up being the person that she ran to. But Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnant. That means that God is working in her in a similar way that he's working in Mary And so the promise that was made to Mary and to Elizabeth, they're linked together. And so Elizabeth's miracle confirms Mary's miracle. Right? Who's going to believe me? Nobody. Well, maybe Elizabeth might because supposedly the angel went and visited her and she's now six months pregnant. I'm going there. She sees Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant and she's like, oh, maybe I didn't dream it. Maybe it really is true. The same angel that saw, that saw me saw her. And so, again, we need these kinds of friendships. We need other people who are experiencing God in their lives because their experience of God oftentimes can confirm yours. So Elizabeth goes on in verse 43 and says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so again, Elizabeth then affirms that Mary will give birth to God's king. Elizabeth says that Mary is the mother of her Lord, right? She's the mother of my Lord has come to see me. And so, um, so Mary will, in fact, give birth to someone that Elizabeth will call her Lord. So this is God's king that Mary is carrying. And then also, Elizabeth affirms Mary's faith. She says, Mary, you are blessed because you believe that God would fulfill the promise that he made to you. And so we see here these two women, these friends, and Mary's faith is being built up. Mary's personhood, her experience is being validated. And this is what good friends do. Um, I have a friend, who names, her name is Laurel Matthewson. She's um, a co-pastor of an Episcopal church in North Park. And she wrote an article about, and had this to do with Christian friendship. And she said this, she said, at first I doubted whether two confused people sharing with each other could possibly make either one of us better right? You know, you're sitting down for coffee, you're having a meal together, or you're just sitting together to, like, bring the Bible and pray with each other, right? And, like, how in the world could two people that are both confused possibly sharing their lives, how could we make each other better? And then she said this, but exposing our secret thoughts and behaviors robbed them of their power. By offering forgiveness and compassion and always laughter to each other we learned to be gentler with ourselves and grace crept in unnamed but almighty man so friends who do you have in your life who can be like this for you man. these friendships can take time uh, they they require commitment on your part Okay, you've got to commit to have a friend like this. Now, we at our church, we want, to, we want everyone to have these kinds of friendships, and they happen in different ways. We have life groups where these kinds of friendships can begin, where these sorts of friendships can grow. Um, you need to be willing to open up a bit. Like, you need to be willing to talk about the real stuff that's going on in your life, and you also need to care about the other person. Right? Sometimes when you come into a situation you're looking to get, you also need to be looking to give because that's part of what creates this kind of friendship. Um, and so these are the ingredients that begin solid friendships like this. And so Mary runs away. Mary is rebuilt and strengthened in her friendship with Elizabeth. And then the third thing we see in this text is that Mary worships the God who fulfills his promises. Mary worships. She worships God, the God who fulfills his promises. In verse 46, it says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. We sing a song that does this. My soul, my soul magnifies. We're singing Mary's words. So my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And so I got to point out here that Mary worships God as her savior, right? She says that, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So just... Just what does it mean to call God your Savior? It means you need saving, right? So Mary needed to be saved. So Mary wasn't perfect. Uh, this is one place where our Catholic friends, get, they, they get it wrong here. Uh, Mary was a sinner just like us, which is why she rejoiced in the God who saved her, right? She needed a Savior just like we do. And so Mary magnifies this God. What does that mean? Well, she said like, she's like, I will make much of God, I will live for God. I will live as though God is a big deal. So to magnify something means to, you know, I think about a magnifying glass and like little tiny writing, and then you put the magnifying glass on it and it's big, right? So she's going to put the magnifying glass over God, and she wants God to be big in her life. She wants to live in a way that makes God seem really important. And That's what worship does. That's what worship is. And so we want to worship. She's like, I'm going to worship God with all of my life. And she says, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, it's the core of who I am, right? Not just with my lips. I'm not just going to say the right things, but I'm going to, like, from the depth of who I am, I'm going to make the most of God. So in every part of my life, with everything that I have, with the things that I think about, with the ways that I act, with the things that I say, I want God to be the most important thing in my life. That's what Mary is doing here. She says, he's done great things for me. She has, he has seen me this lowly servant girl, like I'm just a servant here. And yet he has made me the mother of God's Son. She says, holy is his name. Holy is his name. That means God is special. God is perfect in all that he does. And so God saves and Mary celebrates. Now, just going back a little bit to what Elizabeth said, Mary, or Elizabeth said that Mary was the mother of her Lord, right? And so makes us ask the question, is Mary the mother of your Lord? today, right? Because if so, if Jesus is your Lord, then you can rejoice with Mary. If Jesus isn't your Lord yet, then he can become your Lord today. You can declare Jesus to be your Lord, and you can follow him, and then you can rejoice that the God that worked in Mary's life will work in yours. And so after this, after Mary worships, Mary goes, uh, she stays there for three months, probably until John was born, presumably, um, and then she goes back to life. She goes back to, uh, she goes back up to Orange County where she lives, um, and she goes back with the strength of her faith confirmed and in the strength of this friendship uh, to bolster her. Um, And you can see what happens next with Mary uh, in chapter 2. But first, Luke is concerned to let us know what happens with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And so their baby is born. We don't have time to look at all the verses, but when the baby is born, they bring him to the temple so that he can be named. And when the, name of, um, when the baby is named John, Zechariah's tongue is loosed and Zechariah worships. So that's the fourth thing that we're going to see here. Zechariah's son is born and he worships. So Zechariah breaks into poetic worship Um, in verse 67. It says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David in holiness and unrighteousness before him all of our days. And so Zechariah worshiped God. He saw, too, that God's promises were coming true, like these promises that God made like thousands of years before to Abraham. This oath, this covenant that he made. We've talked about the covenant in our series in Genesis, that God made all these promises to Zechariah's ancestors, and now at Christmas... That first Christmas, they didn't even know it was Christmas yet, right? They didn't even know it was going to become Christmas. But back then, that was God now fulfilling those ancient promises. The prophet candle of Advent celebrates that Christmas means God's promises are coming true. And we see Mary, and now we see Zachariah celebrating those promises coming true. And so, how do we prepare for Christmas? What do we do as we start the Advent season Well, Zechariah's words in verses 76 through 79 give us some clues. Zechariah turns to his child, and he prophesies over him, and he says, And you, child. Will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So, John the Baptist, we find out later, six months older than Jesus and their cousins, and John the Baptist starts and he prepares the way so that people are ready to receive Jesus when Jesus comes. And so, at his birth, this is prophesied that you're going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, you could just sit with this passage and reflect and think and pray and even breathe through this passage And just let the promises that God has given to us through Jesus, like you can see how these things are coming true um, in your life, how they came true in the life of Jesus. But in verse 77 it says, you give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of sins. And so this is just an acknowledgement that all of us have stepped off of God's path. We've all left the standard of God. We've all rejected God's standard, sometimes by accident, a lot of times because we just didn't care enough to to want to obey God, but forgiveness is what brings us back. That no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how wonderful a person you think you are, um, all of us have done things that we are ashamed of that we feel guilty for. And the good news is that the gospel, what Christmas brings us is forgiveness. That forgiveness brings us back to God. And we don't earn it. Christmas shows God's love and his grace to us despite our sins. And then verse 79, to give light to those in darkness and in the shadow of death. What we see here is that Christmas is the dawn of God's new history breaking in to time the morning of god has come and so this is the message of christmas it's the message of advent it's this that jesus brings god's light and life to all that's what christmas is about jesus brings god's light and life to all and so if you're confused lost frustrated struggling to know what to do with your life or what to do in an area of your life, Jesus came to bring God's light, like the light of God's wisdom into your life. Jesus comes when people are looking for direction, for answers, for people who are wondering where God is and when or if God will ever show up. Jesus is the answer. If you aren't what you want to be or if you lack the strength to grow or to change, If you feel like you're aiming yourself in the wrong direction, Jesus came to bring God's life. Man, the life of God for you. He came to make you alive again, to give you his power. It's light and life light where we are dark, life where we are dead. And there's something that rocks my world about this, about Mary and Zechariah's worship. Okay, there's something that just, it just floors me. I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to bring it up so we can talk about it and hopefully all move in this direction. Here it is. They worshiped God before their children did anything. Okay, Mary and Zechariah, they worshiped God in these ways are written in the Bible before their children did anything. I mean, Zechariah's son isn't a prophet yet. And Jesus isn't even born. And yet, Mary and Zechariah are worshiping. What gives? Well, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. The God who saves is worshiped even before salvation is completed. So the God who saves is worshiped even before salvation completed is completed. So Mary and Zechariah worship God and celebrate him as though his work is completed. And we need this. We need this a lot today, right now, in our lives. We need to see Mary and Zechariah worshiping God as though his salvation is completed, even though it hasn't been completed. Okay? They worship the God who saves even when his salvation is just beginning. For both Mary and Zechariah, they had so much in front of them that was going to be dark. There was so much suffering in front of them. Personal suffering. The suffering of their children. This road that they were being asked to walk on would not be easy, but still they worshipped. Man, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. You need to hear this, because we also have salvation that's been given to us, but it's not yet completed, right? I mean, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved, and yet, ouch, right? Life is not easy. It's still difficult. We have these promises from God. We have the salvation and yet, there's still so much suffering. There's so much suffering in front of us presently. So many of you are carrying weight and you're trying to walk through life. And for all of us, there is suffering in our future. But Mary and Zechariah teach us that even now we can worship. We can worship in the midst of this. Because when the dawn breaks, you know the morning is coming. And they knew that the beginning of the promise meant that it would be completed. And friends, we have a similar promise today. In Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, and I am sure of this. And I have to tell you I'm sure of this because you're going to doubt this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we can worship at the beginning of our salvation because with God, the beginning guarantees the end. And so what God wants, God gets. What God gets, God keeps. And he's gonna keep you to the end. He won't stop working in your life. He'll never give up on you. He won't cast you away because he loves you and he's gracious toward you. And so this moves us to worship even though we don't have our salvation complete. But there's another, there's an even more important reason that we need to worship even before our salvation is completed. because we also, again, worship this God who saves us even before we fully experience the benefits of our salvation. And we need to hear this, especially when God doesn't give us what we ask for, okay? If any of you are experiencing something that you don't want, if any of you have asked God for something and you haven't gotten it from him, You need to listen and hear, man, what God wants to say to you today. Um, I watched a YouTube video this week, and it really, really challenged me because so many of us are mad at God. And sometimes we don't even tell Him this, but this is how we feel. God, you didn't give me a spouse, or you didn't give me the spouse I wanted. God, you didn't give me a child. You didn't give me a job. And whether, again, whether we say it out loud or not, we conclude, God, you just don't care or you're ignoring me. I want you to imagine that you inherit a a large amount of money, okay? Imagine that, that you're going to be ridiculously wealthy. Um, And then you meet someone. You meet someone and you fall in love. And they love you. But then you find out that the money that you were supposed to get isn't actually going to come, and you're not going to be wealthy after all. And as a result of not getting the money, your fiance leaves you. How would you feel? I mean, you'd feel used, you'd feel like they were only with you to get the money. Friends, how do you think we often make God feel? Now, this next part, this is for Christians, okay? You committed to follow God, but then you get mad at God because he won't give you what you want. And this means that you married God for his money. You married God for what you could get out of him. It's like you don't love him, you just love what he offers. You love his money. And you're using God as a means to an end instead of seeing God as the end. Now, that was just for Christians. This is for everyone. The gospel is that Jesus gave up everything to have you. Okay, Jesus didn't come from heaven. He didn't leave heaven and all of the glory of heaven and come to earth so that he could have glory or power. He had all those things. He gave them up. He left heaven to come to earth so that he could have a relationship with you. God didn't do this for himself. He did it to have you. Friends, this is why Mary and Zechariah could worship God who saved them even before their salvation was complete. It's because they had God even before they had his completed salvation. The reason why they worshipped was because they had God. Because they knew that they had God. Like, they... They had God, and God was enough. They knew that these promises that were given to them, they knew that being visited by the angel, they knew that being given these children, even though the final thing hadn't happened yet, what was even more important to them was that God was with them was that they had God. And more importantly, they knew that God had them. They knew that God had them. That's why they worshiped even before all the blessings came in their fullness. Friends, Christmas for us today, Advent for us today is a season where we get to ask ourselves, is God enough? Do we have God or does God have us? Like This is the question that we wrestle with. If the answer is yes, then you can worship God even if you don't have all the blessings yet. You can worship even if all the things that you want. Gift giving is a radical expression. Man, I'm all for gift giving. I think that gift giving is a radical expression of the abundant grace of God in our lives who gives to us so much more than we need and so abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. So give gifts. But man, doesn't seeing the story this way change a little bit? Of how the gift giving works, like we have the greatest gift God could ever give, and that's himself. Don't become a Christian because you'll be happier. Don't become a Christian because you'll have peace. Don't become a Christian because you'll be wiser. Like none of that. Like become a Christian because don't you want to know God? Don't you want to know that God loves you? Don't you want to know that God is with you and will never let you go, that you are a child of his? That's a reason to become a Christian. And so the reason that we put ourselves back in time in Advent and spend four weeks pretending like Jesus hasn't come yet is because it puts us in the place where we get to say, God, you're enough, even if the fullness of your coming hasn't happened yet. we need this they worshipped and they trusted that God would do everything else that he promised when he thought it was best when he thought it was best and so so let's join Mary and Zechariah this Christmas season And this Christmas season, just worship. Just worship. Let your soul magnify the Lord. Make much of God. Rejoice that his promises have come true in Jesus. Thank him. Praise him. And brag about him. Because he has you. Let's pray. Father, our souls magnify you. We rejoice in our spirits, in you, our God and our Savior. And we bow, um, and we confess that so often we just want your stuff and not you, and we have blinded ourselves and convinced ourselves that if we don't have your stuff then we don't have you and we're sorry for that. Please, God, forgive us. Pour out your grace again because we need it. And touch our hearts so that we would worship. Help us to make much of you this Advent season you are worth it, you are worthy, and nothing else compares to you. We love you for coming. We love you for not leaving us abandoned, for coming to be our Savior. We love you for coming in Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.